Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yes, we've got another belter on the day. It's uh, the Scottish bacon bar, as he's called in his in-house. It's uh, Gary Coldwell. Guys, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you, mate. No, great to come on and speak to you. It's been a long time. I know. I've, uh, I've been looking forward to this one. Um, back in at Thistle, how are you enjoying it? It's been brilliant. Uh, the players have been excellent. Uh, obviously, Saturday's result was, was a disappointment, but the performance was good. A lot of what we've done in training is, is coming off. Uh, still a lot of work to be done, but... A great club to work for with, with huge potential and we need to work hard to try and get that. My contract's up with Peterhead in the summer, mate. If you need somebody that's good for the dressing room, right now? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> right, by the way, I called you the new Scottish Beckham bar. Do you know why? Because you are this playing out through the back, in it? I was driving down to Wigan in Newcastle doing my research, speaking to the people that know you best, and I was thinking, you'd be making a millions now playing in the game with you. You know what I think? Uh, possibly. The game's got a bit quicker, though, so I might struggle on <laughs> that front, but... I was always taught to to pass out, to play out. I was fortunate I had Alan Irvin and Tommy Craig at Newcastle who gave me a great education in, in football, basically from the, the very basics of the game to obviously playing at a higher level. But they were excellent coaches, excellent teachers, and I, I carried it through and always ended up playing for teams that, that passed the ball. I think like Tony Mowbray at Hibs, uh, Gordon Strachan at Celtic, we were always, you know forced it to play out and pass the ball, then ended up with probably the, the biggest of them all, Roberto Martinez at, at Wigan. So uh, it was something I always did and I, I really enjoyed. I think that's the best play to, way to play football and that's the way I hope that my teams will play. Uh-huh. You said about Newcastle spotting you. I heard it was after an outstanding performance in the Fubar. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few good performances in there. No, how did Newcastle see you up in Stirling? Uh, it was a scout named Scott Gibson, who was a heart scout uh, when I was probably nine-year-old, eight-year-old. My brother went in and then he seen me and started taking me into hearts when we were that age. And then he, he moved to Newcastle when we were about 13. He became the Scottish scout and for Newcastle and the Holy Scotland. So he took my brother there, he took myself there, he took Brian Kerr there. 
Uh, Lee Barrett, a mate of mine there, Stuart Malcolm went Big there. Malcolm, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he took a lot of players for, for the region there and uh, we ended up obviously signing there and, and playing there in the youth team and reserve teams. See, in the youth team and reserve team, obviously your brother was a centre-half as well. Was that weird kind of vying for a place for your brother? No, you hoping he had made an arse every week? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> he probably did. Uh, no, I think we helped each other more than anything. I think to... It's such a hard career and it's such a difficult thing to, when you're young, to break into teams and I think to have a brother or mates that, that understand that and help you is, 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 a, is a real bonus and from a young age we helped each other and spoke football and you know the whole family was just revolved around football so I think he was a help throughout my career and even now we, we talk about football all the time. Mm -hmm. Was uh, Alan Irvin head of youth? He came in as... He was, he was kind of overseeing the whole coaching at, at, at one point, but then when I came full-time, he was the under-18s manager, so he was my manager, me and Kersey's manager, for a year. And that year, I've said it before, I learned more in that year than I've ever learned in my life. He taught you everything. In fact, this week we were, we were discussing a few sessions that he taught us. he done one one day with, with big cones. There was about maybe 20 cones zigzag cones and you had to run out to the cone and, and take up a defensive position your body shape low and where you wanted to show them then run to the next one and obviously change your body mm -hmm. position and just the basics of it the understanding when you when you become a coach you think you know you know how to coach but to get down to that level of detail and the basics of how to defend 1v1 was amazing and I, I've actually done that session with the Wigan Academy and the guy says, you know, oh, what a session, you know, how did you think of that? Yeah. I says, 30 years ago. 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> but was, said, he, was he tough on you as well, Alan Irvin? Or? Oh, he was scary, yeah. He so had he that. Fear I think any youth team coach has to have that fear factor that when you do it wrong, you know, you're in trouble. And he was somebody that he didn't swear a lot. So when he did swear, it had like a great impact. And he's got a great Scottish voice for telling you it's fucking rubbish so yeah. uh, you knew in no uncertain terms when you you know weren't coming up to his standards which were very high obviously done quite well because you got a, a wee chance in the first team how was it training with guys like, like Shearer it? it was amazing that was actually Rude Hulick came in uh, after Kenny Dalgleish Rude Hulick came in as manager and he played a lot of 11 v 11 games uh, he was very kind of tactical in how he wanted to set the team up so he wanted to work a lot 11 v 11 so the reserves or, or younger players would, would come up and play against. And I was marking Shearer and Ferguson most wow. days in training, which as an education was, was amazing. Uh, they would help, obviously. They would do things that put you in positions and they'd explain what you should do and stuff. So it was great for us as an education. It wasn't great for Shearer probably because him and Hulett were, you know, yeah. not the best of friends. There was one day... You know, on the training pitch, he wanted Alan to do something specific. Told him it, showed him it, and I could, I was standing next to him, and I could tell he wasn't best pleased at how he was kind of showing him how to do this. He was England captain; he was the best striker in the world. And in the next <laughs> the next play, the exact same thing happened, and Shearer didn't move and just kind of looked over at him, and it was like, oh, this is, you know, it was a clash of two big personalities and. There was only going to be one winner, and ultimately the manager got sacked pretty soon how, after. How good was he? Was he brilliant at it? He was awesome. He was uh, physical. Physical. 
but he used to work extremely hard on his game. Every day he would practice his finishing. Uh, I remember on Fridays he used to get Tommy Craig, who was reserve team manager, to stand about five yards away from him and literally smash the ball in at him and he would just touch, touch and the ball would be dead. And he had that where he could set himself and just control it. And if he wanted to buy a foul, he could. If he laid it off, he had that. He was a, a, a top, top player. Uh-huh. Talking about cones, you played against Kevin Kyle in reserves <laughs> for Sunderland. <laughs> he was telling us it used to bash you a bit, but I'm, I'm not having it. His second touch was a tackle, wasn't it? So. <laughs> he said that himself. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they reserved games even against Sunderland. Newcastle was still a, a big rivalry there. Huh? They were good, aye. They were good battles. And obviously the big man was, was a physical player. He loved that physicality and throwing himself about. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we had a few good tussles uh, with him. And I actually played against him for Derby. Uh, when I was on loan, he was at Sunderland in a first team game at Pride Park. Where remember Mark Poom scored the header? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I was I was under him as he rose about nine foot in the air to <laughs> score that goal. So I played against him in a, a you know professional first team game okay, as well. Yeah. So who that leaves and the main man comes in, Bobby Robson. You told me a great story about him when I was a young guy. I always remember it. We went to Trinidad. He took us away to Trinidad. Uh, the first team reserves, young, some younger players got on the trip. I think there was about five of us. In fact, I've got a funny story about Tommy Craig with this trip as well. He's yeah. just reminded me. So we went, we flew down to London. Uh, we were waiting for the, the long-haul flight over to Trinidad and the flights, there was something wrong with the tickets. So he, he came in, we're, we're not going, we're going back. Everyone's going back. I'm not having this, we're a team. He's going mental at the organisers and you can see they're really flapping. So then... Our passes, we're in this hotel having some food. Comes back, everything's sorted, we're, we're going, we're sorted. So it was me, Kersey, my big brother was there, uh, Stuart Green, and I can't mind, there was, I think it was five young guys, and we were like, oh, brilliant, first class, business class seats. We're like, this will be amazing. We were 17, this will be amazing. So we get like nearer the flight, he says, it's sorted, lads. You're right up the front, a standard class. So that the teams together. And we were like, oh my God. So we got in the flight and the seat was like that. And we had Speed, Shearer, Rob Lee. They were like pulling the curtains back going, there's plenty of room in here, lads. He said, I'm just going to go for a seat. They had champagne. They were all drinking on the flight and we were just sitting for however many hours over to Trinidad. But it was an amazing trip, to be fair. And we all roomed with a first team player. So we made all the... I was in with Warren Barton and... I think Kersey was in with Rob Lee, they put you in with a first-teamer, so you've seen you know, what it took to, to obviously play. And it was more a holiday, really. Uh, it was brilliant. But Tommy Craig, before we went on that trip, because he knew we were going to get a few nights out and that, he pulled us before we went. He says, look, I want to tell you something before you go, it's serious. And we were like, oh. He said, uh, when he's out with it, he says, I know, I know you might want to have a drink, which is great, it's the end of the season, you can have a drink. But he said, if they're all drinking pints... Get a half pint, and we were like, but <laughs> we're still drinking. He went, but let them get pints. You get half pints. If they have ten pints, you can have twenty half pints. <laughs> we were like, that's the same amount. We'll still be, we'll still be the same. He says, but if the manager comes in, it looks much better. Uh-huh. And it was a good. Uh-huh. It was a, a advice. Eh? His uh, advice was right, but at the time we were thinking. Nah, we'll just go and drink the drinking. Would the older boys look after you? Would they pay for the drinking or They did, actually. They were brilliant. Uh-huh. Uh, Warren Barton paid for everything on our room and uh, they looked after us. 
No, no, not really. Yeah. No. But Robson as a manager, what was so good about him? He was looking back now, obviously having done the role. Uh, he was a genius. He was absolutely unbelievable at the time. I was young and just wanted to make a name for yourself, wanted to become a player and wanted to do whatever it took and he didn't really take in what he was saying to you as much as I probably should. I obviously took it in and listened to him but when I think back he was he was a genius at some of the things he used to say to me. Uh, I used to always want to go on loan and just play <clears throat> and he, he would let me go but say, you know, you've got to work on this, you've got to work on that and he was right in everything he said but it was his... His way with people and his enthusiasm for football was was incredible. I watched his documentary recently and I was I was in tears at the end. It was incredible just seeing things and remembering, you know, what he did. Uh, an, an amazing man and an amazing manager. What a man. Okay, last question on Newcastle. How were the nights out with the boys? Must have been someone else down there now. There was some good ones, yeah, that I probably can't say on camera, but I was actually that what went on at Christmas parties back then before camera phones and that is incredible. <laughs> I can imagine. Who, who was a good laugh though at the, the first team boys? Uh, they, they all liked it to be honest. Did they, when, huh? Yeah. And uh, Robson never mind that? No, you got your you know, your night out of it. I remember even Alan Shearer used to every home game and this has gone as well, players' lounges have gone for football. Uh, but back then, after the game players would go in the players' lounge every game home or away you'd pop in the players lounge he would come in his dad would have a pint of beer sitting on the bar and he would literally like Stop. neck it because yeah. he's obviously thirsty he'd get another pint and then he'd go home with the kids and his family were there And but that was every home game mm-hmm. and nowadays that's gone for the game that kind of culture uh, younger players now are much more uh, diet and nutrition is a, a huge part of the game. Is that but a good thing too? I think it's a good thing, but it just shows even the best player in the world at that time could have two pints and, and get away with it. I don't think at that highest level, I don't think you can get away with that anymore. Change times. Okay, moving on. Stephen Broken at the first team. You were, as you say, you went out on loan a couple of times. When was the point that it came that you thought, I, I need to leave now? Uh, I think it was when I went back so I, had, I came to Hibs, uh, had a great loan spell under Frank Soze, I what got my Scotland cap, he was amazing, amazing manager as well. Uh, got my first Scotland cap, went back and signed a new contract with a year's loan to a championship club, so spent a year at Coventry, had played maybe 40 games at Coventry, and I came back that summer thinking... I'm ready. Well, whether I was or I wasn't, I thought it's either I play now or I leave now. And then I didn't get in the summer. I went on loan to Derby and I was poor at Derby, to be honest. I wasn't fit because I'd, I'd got a bit disillusioned. I wasn't as fit as I had been. And then I didn't play at Derby near the end. And that was when I thought, oh, I'm in trouble here. My career is now, you know, if I can't get a game on loan, I'm not getting a game at Newcastle. Where, where do I go? I'm dropping down. Uh, so I went back, didn't play. And then that, uh, when I knew when I went back, I was kind of finished that January. Uh, they let me go and I went to, to Hibs again for, for my second spell. How did Hibs come about? Was it just Sozie phoned your mm. agent? It was through Donald Park, actually. Oh, was it? He Donald was assistant, Donald? yeah. And I went away with under-16s, I think he took an under-16 team. So he just kind of remembered me for then and that was a link. Uh, but Sozie was amazing. I, I remember going, the first game was Celtic against Lars, Larson, Hartson and Sutton. 
wow. was was the kind of front players that they had at the time. And he was we were second bottom of the league. St Johnson were bottom and it was it was close and he was like just enjoy yourself, just play. I want you to pass and play. And I was like, this guy's brilliant. Amazing, eh? And and we stayed up, but how did you get in that game? Did you have a beast? No, we drew. Did you? I huh? think we drew one each. Uh-huh. Would he join in in training? That's was he. He used to join in the boxes. He was incredible. Better Great. than Strachan in the boxes. Uh, yeah, he probably was. Was he? Huh? Strachan was. 50 with one hip so no but he was he was a top player and you said the international call up did that come out of the blue or uh, it did a bit to be honest there was talk he was going to pick a younger squad and uh, you know so there was there was hope but you know you don't think you're going to get picked at that age and he picked a few he picked Fadi Kevin McNaughton myself uh, so it was it was a great thing to, to get picked and actually start as well was, was massive uh-huh. so when you went back to Hibs full time it was Bobby Williamson so yeah, when I went back for the second spell, uh-huh. it was Bobby was, was now, manager. We've had some amazing stories about Bobby Williamson eating habits. <laughs> Can you buy for it? We've heard Stephen Dolby told us he had hot dogs, Rustler hot dogs. Gary O'Connor says he had toast. His office smelled of toast. <laughs> and Deeks told us he ate toast in the bath as well. Can you? <laughs> Any others? To add to that now? He was always late for training. <laughs> Why? And there was a lot of vans on the way to <laughs> Easter said. Road to wherever we trained. A lot of like sausage roll vans and that for like people working on the building site. So he used to come to train himself and he was always late. So I, I don't know. How was he thought? Good manager? He was a great guy. Uh-huh. Great guy. Like, you know, like training was fun. Everyone, good atmosphere. Uh, so yeah, you enjoyed playing under him. Because... Uh-huh, when you first went to Hibs, so you only signed a short-term deal, didn't you? Why was that? I only signed till the end of the season. Season, uh-huh. Yeah. Because uh, you were internationals at that time. Why did they not give you a longer deal? I, I think that was me. I, I was always someone that I wanted to keep my options open, you know, and if, if you do well, then they want you. You know, I was never somebody that wanted to get a long-term kind of contract, apart from you get older and your, your legs, legs are gone. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was younger, I always felt like, you know, you back yourself that, I'll go there, do well, and see what happens. And uh, I'd done well. I had a few options to go abroad at that time. Uh, Vitesse Arnhem, I went on kind of trial there and I had the potential to go and sign for them. But then when Tony Mowbray came in, I felt like Hibs was, was a really good option. Uh-huh. See, just on that, do you think there's too many young guys nowadays that are happy to sign five-year contracts and sit a bit? Yeah, I think so. I think, especially in academies and uh, down south where... These academies hoard players and get massive numbers of players, and that they've got the Chelsea or the Man United tracksuit. But are they really Chelsea or Man United players? Sounds I think like they, me Celtic, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think they, you know, they they kind of hold on to that. I've managed in League One and League Two down in England. It's a good standard. Mm-hmm. I think more players should go out and loan. Should should be released sooner to to go and play because you can come back. I think just because you. You know, you don't make it at that time. You can go down and, and come back and, and come through a different route. So, yeah, I think more uh, more players should look at that. Just on back to your time at Hibs, you played in the defeat to Livingston in the League Cup final. How much a low point was that so early in your career? Uh, horrendous, but it was the only final I ever lost. And I remember that day, Bobby actually went in. <laughs> he just said, I'm not watching this. What, during the game? No, the, when they went up the to cup, get the cup. cup. And I says, I'm watching it. And I say, I think we should all watch it. Because I think it's important that when you do lose, you see 
or you feel how much it hurts when you watch another team go up and lift a cup and their fans are there and your fans are walking out of the stadium. So I stayed and watched it and never lost another cup final after. Well, there must have been a tray of pies in the dressing room with Bobby. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> never had his toast on. <laughs> <laughs> My toes burning, I better get in. Um, Tony Mowbray, as you say, he's come in. I mean, him, perfect for you, playing it for the back. Is that why you wanted to stay and play under him? It was, yeah. I met him. We played Trinidad and Tobago Easter Road that summer in a friendly and uh, he was there to watch, spoke to him after it and straight away I thought, this is going to change. Bobby was great but didn't have a clear style of play, didn't really want to pass or play out and when I spoke to Tony it, it seemed like we were going to play that way and uh, they were probably, looking back, the most enjoyable years. There was no pressure on us. We, we weren't expected to win anything or we didn't need to stay up. There was, you know, a real freedom in how we played. And we used to go to Celtic uh, Rangers and, and play open football, just play out for the back and, and go and play toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. And, and we had some great performances and great results against those teams in those years. Why do you think he'd done that, Mowbray? Because that, was that his first job? I mean, if he'd been sacked for playing that way, that could have been the end of him. It takes a lot of bravery for Mowbray to come in and want to play like that with kids, eh? It does, but I don't think you can change who you are. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I'm, I'm similar myself. I don't think you can play a different way than you believe football should be played. Everyone has a, a way of playing or a way they see football and how, how it's best to win or, or how they want to watch football, which is great, I think, which makes it so such a good game. Uh, and no one way is better than the other way, you know, because you can win playing counter-attack, you can win launching it in the box, and you can win playing total football. There's there's no one way that guarantees you win. So uh, I think that's the way he sees football, and that's every team I've known uh, him to manage has, has tried to play that way. Would it always be the attacking side of the game that he'd concentrate on? Because he was a centre half himself. Would he help you defensively as well, or was it all about going forward? The thing I remember, just as you asked that question, was he always used to be big on heading it to teammates. Right. And at the time... I always got taught height and distance was, was the kind of coach's phrase of when you're defending height and distance, height and distance. But then he was somebody that said, well, if there's nobody near you, can you not cushion it into centre mid? Can you not cushion it to the fullback? Can you not, you know, the flick back that to the... Right. It's a risk. But that was when he started teaching us that and he actually worked on our heading as well and training. We used to throw it and, and head it down to different people and... And that's when I thought, this is, this is different, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to play at every opportunity. Don't get me wrong, if it was there and you're competing, you had to go and head it, you had to go and head it. But it was getting that balance right was, was the challenge, but it was, it was great to have a manager that gave you that belief. And you were obviously centre-back. How good was it watching some of the football in front of you? We had some great young players. We had great energy in the team. Unbelievable energy in the team, looking back. Uh, Brownie, Kevin Thompson, Derek Reardon, Gary O'Connor, real energy and quality in attacking areas. Didn't help you much with defending. <laughs> and Deeks and Gaz were great. <laughs> when you lost a goal, they were brilliant at standing on the halfway line, ready to take kickoff, going, <laughs> looking back as if to say, and I would be doing my nut. And you said that, Deeks said Get that, them in the change room, then they weren't so brave in the change room. But when they're 50 yards away, for they, they were pretty brave. Was training quite intense? Was there a lot of Because Deke said that you and him used to properly go in on each other in training. He called you chrome dome, mate. I didn't know what to start a beef. <laughs> I don't want to be a grass, but that's what he said. He said you would leave it on him in training. He used to be scared of me, if truth <laughs> be told, yeah. And, and 1v1s, he was quicker than me. He had better feet. He could finish. 
and he could never get past me because I think he was a little bit scared. Uh-huh. But he was a great finisher, Deke. Could you tell finisher. all them would go on and be top players? I think you could at the time, yeah. I think you could see we were a, we were a really good side and, and Hibs at the time just couldn't keep a hold of us. Uh, but yeah, I think you could, that, that individually we had qualities that would probably go on and play, play at other clubs. I always ask the Hibs players this, who, who would have been your pick out of the players back then? The best player? Uh, the younger ones? I would say Deeks had the most talent. Really? Out of them all. Right. Yeah, by far the most talent uh, in terms of he could finish off both feet. Mm. He could score from anywhere, pretty much. Uh, so talent-wise, definitely Sadiq. And would Mowbray just let him go and play? Was there, any, was, there a, was there instructions or was it just go and play? It was go and play, yeah. There was obviously, you know, tactical things that we had to work on, but it was pretty much when we get the ball, pass it, move, you know, go and try and hurt them. Uh, so, yeah, it was a, an exciting team to watch. Because you'd even got to say it like in Rangers and you played them off a part, wouldn't you? No, I remember one game we played, they were playing EC Milan on the Tuesday Celtic and we played them on the Saturday, Uh, we got beat 2-1, John Hartson scored two I think, he was was a handful then, he was so hungry when it came in the box, he was always... I'm glad you said in the box, yeah. He was he was a top player and he scored two but we passed them off the park and Martin O'Neill said after the game, you know, if... If Tuesday night is, in, is as difficult as today, we're in for a tough game, and wow. they were playing AC Milan. So no, we were a, we were a really good team. What were the players like when you were passing them off the park, Lenny and John Hartz? Would, would, would they get frustrated? Uh-huh. Yeah, they'd give you a bit of stick. Good. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to ask what was said, <laughs> um, but do you think that team should have done better? Do you think you could have went and won a league? I think you reached the, Sco- the semi in the Scottish Cup, weren't you? The semi was a big disappointment against Dundee United. Uh-huh. Jason Scotland scored late on. I think we were 1-0 up as well. There was a big thing, obviously it's changed now with, with them winning it a few years ago, but Hibs in the Scottish Cup, was it was like a hoodoo. It was like, it's impossible, the fans thought we're never going to do this. So we got to that semi and we felt we had a team that could have won it and, and lost in that semi-final it was a big disappointment. But I think you could have, but it's just... It's something that's so hypothetical, it's never going to happen because the way football was, the way Hibs was then, it was never, we were always going to go on to different clubs. Did you feel that pressure of the fans of the Scottish Cup? You did, yeah. You felt the Scottish Cup was a big thing to them because of the, I think it was a hundred and odd years uh-huh. when I was there and then they finally won it a few years ago, but you could feel that going into Scottish Cup games. Okay, just the last few bit on Hibs, I don't know about the derbies. How enjoyable were the Edinburgh derbies? Not very, as I remember. We lost a lot of them. Uh, I gave a penalty away in one. I broke my ribs and punctured my lung in another Oof. at Tynecastle. Uh, so yeah, the derbies weren't very <laughs> special to me. How do they compare to the Celtic and Rangers? They're they're the same in Edinburgh, mm-hmm. as in you know in Edinburgh it's a big thing and the, the two clubs hate each other. Uh, but there's no comparison in terms of global scale and, and what it means to, to both clubs. The old firm is, is unlike any other game. Mm-hmm. All right, on to your second season. Was it getting to a stage that you all thought, it's time to, time to get moves here? I just think you, you kind of probably grow you know, out with a club and, and when different clubs start you know, coming or, or asking your agent or different things, you then think, you know, you want your career. You want to play at the highest level. I think every player, if they didn't say that, they'd be lying. So when when other clubs start showing an interest, then it does kind of 
take your eye and you think I would like to play for that club but Hibs was a, a, I still go back there it's still a fantastic club and I, and I love my time there Would the boys speak about it amongst themselves about leaving or No I don't think so I no. think that's something football's a team game but obviously you're your individual career you keep you keep to yourself. So you could have signed anywhere because you were a Bosman in 2006. Why Celtic? Well, I supported Celtic as a kid. There's uh, that next question. Done. Thanks, uh, mate. And uh, I just think when, when they came, that was a massive draw for me to, to go and try and win leagues, to play in the Champions League was, was a huge thing. And Gordon Strachan was was obviously the manager and a big influence. He came round my house in Edinburgh. Uh, probably shouldn't have actually. He's probably breaking <laughs> rules at that point. But I spoke to him about you know the team and the club and how I wanted to play. And uh, straight away I was really excited. The way it came out wasn't great. I obviously signed and it came out in the papers on the Saturday morning. I'd signed on the Thursday. Right. And I'd kept Tony Mowbray in the loop all the time. I'd said, look, I've spoke to Gordon Strachan. He knew I was running out of contract. So I, I didn't want to do anything that I felt was kind of going behind his back. So I told him on the Thursday, look, I've signed for Celtic. He said, do you want to play on Saturday? I said, of course. He said, that's fine. He said, I don't kind of want to speak about it again. So then on the Saturday morning it came, it was on the back page of the paper that Celtic had signed me in a pre-contract and you know I was going to go there in the summer, it might happen in January, but I was going in the summer, which wasn't great obviously if you're a Hibs fan. So we played Aberdeen at home and the first time I touched the ball, the whole stadium started booing. And it was quite obvious, you know, and I was like, oh wow, like, I didn't expect that. And then after about seven minutes, I hit a short, back pass and I think it was Stevie Lovell actually nipped in and scored and I thought wow this is going to be a long day mm-hmm. uh, and the booing to be fair started to ease a, a bit after that the second half we played really well but I think we lost the game 1-0 or they may, it was maybe 2-1 but Tony Mowbray came out after and he was brilliant like backed me 100% uh, said like that it was it was shocking you know that he was still a player for this club and until otherwise, it should support him. But uh, I played right to the end of the season, played every game. Because uh, I had older players at the club at the time were rightly trying to give me good advice, saying, like, I wouldn't play if I was you. You know, like, your contract's there, you're going to the club you want, you could just sit out and, and not play. But I was like, that's not who I am, I want to play, I want to do everything I can for this club until the end of the season, then whatever happens, you know, I'll, I'll go for there. So. I played right to the end of the season and then left that summer. Is that touchy when the fans are like that? Is it tougher, huh? Boone? It's hard. I, I say it all the time to, to players, to younger players. Uh, football, for me, is an uncomfortable environment. A really, really uncomfortable environment. I think too often, as coaches, as, as kind of youth coaches, academy coaches, and even first-team coaches, we, we put cones out, we set passing drills, we, we play little possession games, and everything looks nice. But ultimately we're not preparing them for that 90 minutes on the Saturday, which is an uncontrolled, uncomfortable environment where anything can happen that the players have to be ready to, to react and to deal with different situations. So uh, I think, you know, how we, how we coach players psychologically has, has to be better to prepare them for, for matches because it is a difficult place. So do you do that? Sometimes, yeah, I sometimes try and do different things and I've spoke to Gordon about it and his running 
character you know, but his character running was to prepare you for a game that when you're tired with 15 minutes to go, you can't stop. Mm-hmm. You have to keep going. You have to dig in and, and stay in the game or you're, you're under pressure. You need to dig in at that moment. And that running, he, he said it at the time, but I've spoke to him since, was purely to, to develop your character and to develop your resilience that when it comes to that point in the game, you're ready to cope. And I, th- I think it's important I've done running with the boys today because... They need to be fitter and they need to be tougher and the running covers both. But just by playing football all the time, you don't get that resilience, you know. You don't get that feeling of, this is horrible, you know. I need, to, I, need, I need to keep going, so I think it's important. I thought the runs were just to embarrass Paddy McCourt. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously you mentioned Gordon there and the first time you met him with Celtic, he's obviously still a massive influence in your, your career as a manager now. Huge, I speak to him all the time. Uh, if ever I need anything... If ever I've got a problem, he'll be the first to call. I called him at Wigan quite a lot when I started, when things weren't quite happening. What do I do? What, you know, what do you think? Uh, and he's brilliant for advice. I actually called him when I got the job. And in typical fashion, you, you know him well, obviously. I phoned him up on a, it was a Monday night and I said, they've asked me to take the job. What do you think? And he went, do you want it? And I went, of course I do. He went, well, what are you phoning me for? <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was it. And that's just him. Uh, he, 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 always, he just gets to the point quickly and, he, and he's very honest. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's a good person to call when you need him. So, how was it first going to say, like, nerves? No, excitement. Uh, but I always, I always felt when I signed for a club uh, that... I need to be better. So if a club sit like when I went to Hibs, I'm obviously leaving Newcastle, I need to be better. I need to get in the team, I need to make an impact and be better. When I went to Celtic, I felt I'm going to a bigger club, there's more squad, uh, it's going to be difficult to get in the team, I need to be better. I didn't ever, uh, Wigan was the same, I'm going to Wigan, the Premiership, I've never played here before, I need to be better. So every club I felt like I improved uh, to, to get in the team first and foremost and then to, to stay in the team. So a huge challenge it was at first to, to get in the team because there's such good players that were there. Do you look at guys in the squad when you're joining a club and think, I need to be better than them? Do you, do you look at that and say, can I be better? What, what are they good at and what do I need to improve on? No, I look at it and go, great. You know, like, it's, it's a, a great squad. It's got potential to win things. It's got potential to be in the Champions League and compete in the Champions League. But for me to get in the team, I need to be better than these guys around about me, but they're good players. And Celtic every year are going to sign good players as well. So it's not like when I'm there, me and Steve McManus were pretty regular, but Bobo was there when I first went. Darren O'Day was a young player that was there that was, you know, coming into the team. We signed Glenn Leuvens. Not sure if we signed any more, but every time they're signing players to make them better. So if I don't get better, then, then I'm not going to play in it. And I don't think that happens enough in football that people, you know, accept challenges and, and go and uh, t- take their challenges on board. How was the dressing room at Celtic? Is it different? Is a Hibs dressing room different for a Celtic dressing room? Is it more carry-on at Hibs? More carry-on at Hibs, yeah. Mm. Celtic, we, we had good characters, good fun. Uh, we'd go out together and, and have nights out. But we were, we were winners. Training was was fierce you, you'd have been in it some days there was fights all the uh-huh. time eh? and who'd I, be the main culprits we Scotty Barry Robson uh-huh. Scott McDonald Arthur Boric Snedden McGeady uh-huh. that was it <laughs> and, and me John Kennedy were like security trying to break, <laughs> <laughs> break and would Gordon encourage it? 
Nah, he would to an extent. He would he, like think thinking now, as I said, in my position now, thinking back, uh he, he used to stoke that fire to, to create that competition and that, you know, mm-hmm. that tension in training that, that people put we, he trained at hundred percent every day. And then when I went to Wigan, obviously different manager, different culture, the first day I was like, What what's going on here? People were, you know, nice and then I went in and clattered someone and everyone's like <laughs> <laughs> What's what he that? just done? You know, <laughs> is it like that really? Huh? Oh, it was. It was strange. It changed over time. Uh-huh. But Roberto was only there for six months when I went in the January, and I think he genuinely brought me for, for obviously for different reasons. But the main reason was to to kind of change that mentality uh-huh. and take take the standard up in training. And before, when I first went, it was there was nothing in terms of contact at training and. And then I created a few fights there <laughs> to, to, to increase the, the intensity within the, cl- the club. Uh-huh. Do you think it's just the pure pressure of playing for Celtic that brings that to training? I think so, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I think it brings it on the club. And I would imagine that Man United, at, you know, Barcelona, these massive clubs, it'll be that and that and more uh-huh. because the, the club creates that tension, the, the, the need to win creates that tension. And you feel it straight away when you walk in the door. So, uh, but the manager helped. The manager definitely helped uh, create that feeling within the team that we have to win. And Rangers were the enemy. You know, mm-hmm. like we have to beat them. And it became a real kind of grudge match against them. Talk us through that experience at Old Trafford. Massive game. Eh? Unbelievable game. Do you get nervous in games like that? I think uh, if you don't, then. You shouldn't be playing football. You get nervous, but there's there's good nerves and bad nerves. It's good to be nervous, and I think players need to understand that that to feel those nerves that that get you going, get adrenaline going, is good as long as they don't become anxious nerves and and it creates a fear within how you play. So I always got nervous, but I felt a good nervous that I was looking forward to it. And that game was brilliant. We had I think we had about ten thousand. We had the whole top tier, which didn't happen a lot at Old Trafford. They always get in the corner. Uh, and Naka scored a fantastic free kick Jan scored we went in the lead twice and then second half they came out scored early in the second half and then uh, finished 3-2 but great game great experience they, I, that was a brilliant stadium are they Champions them. League night? are they the best nights being a Celtic player them and Rangers yeah. Uh, but the Champions League were, were amazing see Gordon everyone obviously sees his personality but how good was he tactically in games like the Champions League he was brilliant but he was he was simple, and I think that was his, his genius, that he was simple, he kept it simple. We, the EC Milan game, we beat them uh, 2-1 to, to qualify the year, we, I think it was the second year we qualified. It was raining, I don't know if you remember the game, were yeah. you? It was pouring it rain, like the pitch, <laughs> pitch was soaking. And he said before, we, we had worked all week on pressure, on getting pressure on the ball, real pressure on the ball, to Pirlo in particular. And he said before the game, like, I want you to slide tackle. Like, not just get there, I want you to slide tackle and, and hit him and make contact. And we actually beat AC Milan by slide tackling and, and <laughs> you know, get, getting... But I think too often you, you say get close to people and people stand maybe two or three yards off. If you stood a yard off Pirlo, he could still Pop it pick a 60-yard pass. Mm-hmm. So he was meaning, you know, make contact with people. And, and we beat them that night. They were... They had, Inzaghi, Kaka, Pirlo, Maldini. Mm-hmm. 
they were a joke, and, right. and we beat them with just team of guys from Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> um, Barry Robson spoke about some of Gordon's team talks and after match speeches, and in particular, let's stand it. Did you hear him talking about the one where who he would take to the, the trenches in the war or not? No. Do you remember that one? No. I wouldn't take you to Sammy. <laughs> remember? <laughs> Any others that stand it? He was big on character. I always remember it, when he was eating a bit of fruit, <laughs> something was going to happen. He wasn't happy if he was eating a bit of fruit. It could have been a plum or an apple or a banana, but if he would just be gnawing on a bit of fruit, it was then going to, the place was going to explode the next minute. And one time he, he had one, I don't know. It was usually, there was, there was, there was people that were earmarked, I think. I was one. Big Mick could get it. Uh, Paul Hartley could get it. Kenny Miller definitely got it when he was there. Uh, Aidan definitely oh, got Aiden, it. Uh, Aidan was like every week. <laughs> and then there was the untouchables. Jan Venegora Hesselink, Nakamura and Neil Lennon were the untouchables. Yeah. So it was like we would get it and they would get nothing. But I think he'd done that deliberately. And again, thinking as I am now, he knew what players could take it mm-hmm. and he knew who to protect and Naka was obviously one he would put an arm around but at one time he went mental probably at one of us or probably at Aiden actually uh, and he was eating a plum and he, <laughs> he finished and he went and that plum's fucking shite <laughs> <laughs> and the plum just exploded everywhere in the change room but yeah him and Aiden had some had some classic would Aiden be the only one that would answer back? Uh no, Aidan answered back in his way, mm-hmm. which then made the gaffer even worse, which made Aidan even worse, which then just exploded. I think they were similar. They were two... I think the gaffer was like Aidan when he was younger. Right. And that, you know, the, their characters just... Mm-hmm. But, yeah, some people you could... He was somebody you could answer back to in a way that he wouldn't then hold it against you. You know, he, if he did answer back, you better be ready for what was coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he would never hold it against you if you said, ah, but, you know, and this and that. Was he good with a put-down of her? He was brilliant. Kenny once, Kenny loves an answer back, Kenny Miller. Uh, and this asked that we still bring this one up, but he had a go at him. Uh, he was always having a go at Kenny, but he was having a go at him at something. And he'd obviously got to know Kenny. It was a wee bit in his time. And as he was starting to have a go, Kenny just, like, went to open his mouth and the gaffer went, and I didn't want to hear your shoulda, woulda, couldas. <laughs> <laughs> and Kenny just... <laughs> I thought it was a brilliant uh, one, just so to sharp. shut him up. Because uh, he was just about to tell him the story, and he went, nipped it in the bud. Uh, excellent. Uh, just on to the Champions League again. Came for a bit of criticism, Benfica game. How difficult is that to deal with as a Celtic player, that scrutiny when you've made a couple of mistakes? Like I said, it's... An uncomfortable environment and when you score your own goal and then make an arse, a complete arse of the second one and you're playing 60,000 people against top players who are 2 up and then enjoying themselves, you just want to be off the pitch. It's a long, long night and it's hard. And uh, But I always felt the experiences, you either curl up and die or they make you stronger. And you, you, you know, I've, I've said it before to players who make mistakes. I said it at Wigan to like, a keeper once made a mistake. I went, how do you feel? He said, I feel all right. I said, do you feel all right? He said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, well, you should great. Be. I said, no, I all said, right. great. Because nobody's died. You've made a mistake. We've lost a goal. We've lost a game. But what you did was right. You just made a mistake doing it. Mm-hmm. So do it again and again and again. 
just don't make the mistake. But as long as you feel all right, but he didn't feel all right, I think, deep down. So then he didn't keep doing what I was wanting him to do. So the, the thing is about, nobody wants to make that mistake, but you have to accept it and, and be comfortable with it that you're going to do the same thing again. It's when it becomes a fear and you make a mistake, you think, I'm not going to do that again mm -hmm. in terms of what was right because then you're not doing what, what's needed for the team. But is, is that the most difficult thing for playing a big club mentally? Being able to go back out and try... Because you would make a mistake and you go out and try and... Being a footballer. Uh -huh. It's the biggest thing for being a footballer, I think, is, is mentally. Uh -huh. and, and we don't do enough on it. I think if you know, mentally you're right and, and you're strong mentally, then I think you've got a chance. Have you seen good players that say, like, not being able to cope with it? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. To the mental side? Yeah. Can you, can you say who? No. No, no okay. <laughs> Do you think he's underappreciated? That Celtic team. I don't think it will ever be done again. No. Last no. 16 in Champions League, never again, no. Two years in a row? Uh -huh. Never. What was it about the team that, that could do it? Uh, Great question, isn't it? Mentality. Mentality, desire, uh, work ethic, will to win. Like, oh, not. I mean, I'm not saying we never had any quality. We did have a lot of quality, but it was the other things. And luck. A huge, huge slice of luck. Last-minute goals against Shakhtar Donetsk. Last-minute goal against AC Milan. Uh, Last-minute penalty save against Man United. Two outrageous free kicks. For Nak you know, like, mm -hmm. little bits of luck, but uh, just a will to win, and that team was incredible. Talk about quality. Who were the top qualities in, the, in that team? Nakamura, Magide, Maloney were Nakamura for his his uh, his free kicks, obviously, but his, how he received and passed the ball, he was brilliant, wasn't he? Mm, you okay. trained with him, yeah. and he, and he never spoke English, which I don't know how he got the ball because he couldn't actually shout for the ball, yeah. but he still seemed to be in that much space that he just had to pass him the ball. He was a genius, uh, and Magide and Maloney, uh, Magide for. At that time in Europe, he was he was destroying some very good teams. Benfica at home, he was brilliant, uh, and he was a he was a top player, like a an out and out winger. Could get him the ball one v one. Could go past people for fun. His end product was was very good at that point. Uh, 
he was brilliant. And Maloney, for different reasons, I played with Sean at obviously Celtic, Scotland and Wigan. Uh, a fantastic player at, at understanding the game, at knowing where to be and a dead ball specialist and a, and a scorer of, of great goals as, as well. See, McGee, did you think he'd got the top? Yeah, I thought he would have, aye. And, he, and he, he's had a fantastic career, career, but I thought he'd have played more in the Premier League. Uh, I thought he had at that time he had the potential to, to go and do that. Um, just on the, when you qualified, how was the celebrations after it? Gordon wasn't a big one for the boys going out, was he? No, he wasn't. But he, he, you know, when we did you know, get success, he was one. When we, I remember coming back down from Dundee. You know, the Tesco on the road for Dundee, uh-huh. I don't know where uh, the roundabout. He was going in there to get his a carry out for the bus. And, was know, he? Like, yeah, when we, when we won things, he was obviously, uh, that was the time to, to let us go and, and enjoy it and celebrate. Would he ever sit and have a beer? Well, yes. No. He wasn't a big drinker, I don't think. No. no. Would you do that with players now? Uh, I would, I, I have. Uh-huh. When we won the league, we had a, a right a good weekend. <laughs> Four days. <laughs> um, right, your first honour, one in League Cup double, first silverware. How proud are you with the achievements? Brilliant. Like I said, to, you go to Celtic to win. That's and you realise very quickly if you don't win, then the nice will be out. So to to win things is is why you play for the club and uh, to manage to do it. I remember the cup final. I was subbed the cup final. I came back for the injury. Uh, and came on the cup final for Lenny. It was Lenny's last game for Celtic. You came on from did you? Yeah. Well? And to be fair, that was a big call for the manager to to take him off. And he took him off about twenty minutes to go. It was nil nil, and we were just we were the game was awful. Dunfermline, it was and it was awful. They had just parked the bus. It was hard to break down. And I came on in midfield for for Lenny, and uh, we won the game. Do you remember the scorer? No, who was it? You don't remember? Oh, Dumbe. Dumbe. Came in off <laughs> and tackled Don't it in the net. <laughs> <laughs> Dumbe. Uh, see, just on Lenny, how demanding was he as a player? Because I was really scared of him. Uh, I liked him. I, I sat next to him in the change room and I thought he was brilliant. Uh, I'd been at the club a long time, knew the demands of the club and knew the standards you needed to be successful. And I had no problem when, when you dropped below them, when he gave you a rocket, that was fine by me. Uh, I thought he was a great player and a, a great influence on the change room. Is that a dying breed as well, that kind of player? I think so, yeah, massively. That that player that kind of sets the standard, sets the tone and doesn't accept anything less, it's gone for the game where you can shout at people and, and cajole and, and try and get more out of people. Uh, people then go into their shells, but I think it's important. Uh, on to Scotland, involved in one of the most famous team's performances. You scored, didn't you? That must have been unbelievable, no? It was, I. but at the time, you know, when you play football, you just, you go to the next game, you're not, I mean, looking back now... No, I'm still living off stuff 10 years ago. Have you? Yeah, you're still swindling against Wigan. Yeah. I oh, stopped. I remember that! <laughs> yes! Uh, Partridges. <laughs> robbery, on it? Daylight robbery. <laughs> uh, no, I've showed the kids that goal, and like when they see it, it's great like to show them it, and they go like, is that you, Dad? And you know, they they because they obviously don't really remember me. I retired when my oldest would have been, what age would he have? He'd have been about six, and then my my youngest was just born, so they they don't really remember me as a football player. So when I show them things like that, and 
Uh, I've got a picture playing against Neymar that he loves. He thinks that's brilliant. Yeah. That he was like, "Are you playing against Neymar?" I was like, oh, "I had him in my pocket." And he was like, "Did you?" What was the score? I went three 0 He scored two. <laughs> brilliant. Andy was about fifteen. <laughs> but see, on that Euro two thousand eight qualifying campaign, how did you look back? Because it was, it was a good time for Scotland. That McCoy saw that McCoy actually done an interview, and I said to him, "Who were you most impressed by in that Scotland squad?" And picked your old dad. Did he? Yeah, he did. That's. Good to hear. Uh, we were we were a great squad. We were we were at a good age. We had some good younger players like me and Fadi, Darren Fletcher, but had played games and had some experience. And then the older ones like uh, Barry Ferguson, Davy Weir, mm-hmm. Stevie Presley, with Craig Gordon and goal. Uh, so we were at, it was a good squad. And if we had any other group, I think we'd have qualified. But. Mm-hmm. We had Italy, France and Ukraine, which was ridiculous. And fin- managed to finish third, just missed out in second. So it was a good times for the national team. And we had a clear identity. This is something I keep going on about with Scotland. We had a clear identity at that point. We were hard to beat. We were very defensive. We played counter-attack football. And it suited the players. And, and we were successful with it. And I don't think... Since then, we've had a clear identity of how we're going to play as a country, and I think we need to get that. Mm-hmm. Walter, McCoist and Tommy, how much of a laugh was it? It was incredible, incredibly funny. Uh, I mean, Tommy was just the best guy ever. So good to be around a changing room. Good coach, first and foremost, but just a funny, funny guy and kept everyone you know, happy and, and enjoying what they were doing and Walter and uh, Walter was was one of the best managers I played under in terms of, you know, no giving you a job and, and knowing you knew what to do. Uh, defensively the best coach I've ever played for. Brilliant yeah. at setting a team up to be hard to beat. Uh, and then Koiste and Tommy were like they were like a double act. It was with the wine boys up eh? Uh-huh. They would wind boys up, they would all wind each other up. Tommy would fall asleep in meetings and Walter would be talking. And, uh, they were brilliant. We had, I remember the trip to Japan we had was amazing. We played the Kirin Cup. It was just a brilliant, it was about 10 days. End of season as well. Two friendlies, there was not a lot of pressure on the games. And we beat, we beat Bulgaria 5-1 and then like parked the bus against Japan and drew 0-0. And I mean, the, the, the phrase part of the bus wasn't actually out there. <laughs> He's invented it. But this was the ultimate, like it was literally 10 men on the 18 yard line. <laughs> and we drew no no. And uh, now we were really good. And then a night out after that and on, on the flight back, having a few beers and it was brilliant. Great times there. Uh, second season at Celtic, domestically got tougher the second season. Why did you find just, why did you think you found yourself so far behind the Rangers at one point? Uh... Probably injuries. I played. I had to play right back in that at bits. Uh, it was tell. Playing golf. I don't know. I probably working on his handicap. Uh, <laughs> injuries. Uh, lack of just lack of form. Rangers were strong. Rangers had Walter back and and were very strong, and and managed to kind of pull away for us at a bit. Uh, but we managed to to claw them back near the end. Was there ever a stage that you thought this is undoable? No, no, I don't think there ever was. Was that because of the manager or players as well? I think both. Like I said, the, the, the manager instilled it in us, but as a group, we had a great never-say-die attitude. Because yeah, the seven-game winning run kind of got, got you back. Was there anything that sparked that? Like, behind the scenes, was there a meeting? Was there a, a speech? Or was it just, come on, we need to do this? 
Yeah, I think always when you get near the split, and we played Rangers twice in quick succession, mm-hmm. so we knew that was six points, both both at home as well, uh, that we could we could claw the, the gap back and, and really make a fight. And they were like must-win games. I think a draw in either one of these games would have, would have finished the league. And the night game where we scored late was was incredible. Probably the best Old Firm game I played in. There was only one I played at night as well, which the atmosphere was incredible. How good is that? Is it, is it unbelievable here? At, at Parkhead, it's unbelievable. At Ibrox, it's a little bit scary. Is <laughs> but, it? Huh? Yeah, because you're kind of going into the lion's den and you come off the bus, there's, there's thousands of people on that road just outside Ibrox. I mean thousands. Mm-hmm. And they're no clapping you into the stadium. They're, you know, welcoming you uh, in not a very nice way. Uh, so it's, it's intimidating, but great atmospheres to play in both of them but at Parkhead it was brilliant because you were in you know your home and, and you had your people behind you it was brilliant Would the build up to the week and, and Gordon's team talk and stuff like that would it be totally different to, to, than usual? Yeah he, like I said he built that hatred I remember he showed a goal once uh, we would lost we'd lost a game 3-0 I think we'd already won the league and lost at Ibrox 3-0 and he showed the third goal and he must have showed it about 15 times he was like rewind it shot again and he was telling you about the bench cheering, about the, the players celebrating, about the, the crowd ce- Look at them. Look at them again. And he was just trying to, you know, fuel that fire in you to say, that's never going to happen again. Uh, so there was a real, there was a real rivalry at that time. Uh, not, a, not a hatred, but a, a, a good, healthy rivalry between, obviously, the two managers respected each other, but wanted to win. Walter and Gordon, and the players were similar. Would he be a type that would say stop that certain player for Rangers or would it just be focusing on yourselves? Was it who, was there a Rangers player that, that he's oh, wary of? There was a few that he wanted... Who were they? <laughs> tackled, <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> uh, Novo Nacho, as he called him. Right. <laughs> he called Novo, Nacho Novo that, didn't he? Novo Nacho. <laughs> he, he was always a a difficult player to play against he was amazing in old firm games he always seemed to raise his game uh, and Charlie Adam would have been the other one that was a target was it huh? <laughs> right okay brilliant uh, I think you know, wrote this next question actually you are personally lauded for your performances towards the end of the season did you really start to feel like you are one of the main players in the team at that point did I write that <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did yeah I felt like I, I, my confidence was high, I was, I was fit, I was experienced, I'd came through a lot of experiences in my career and I felt you know, a real influence on the team. I felt like I was you know, playing well and could influence other players around me, which I think was a strength of mine. So uh, I really enjoyed that season, it was, especially the end. We finished so well, it was, it was a brilliant end. And that game at Tannadice was, was the only game in my life I knew we couldn't get beat. It, it was like it was weird it was like we just can't get beat here and we actually played horrendous don't know if you remember it but first half we were horrendous they had a few chances we were nervy but there was something within everyone I think we just thought with Tommy and everything that we're going to win here and we scored a header and won a game 1-0 that probably didn't deserve to win but it was just it felt like fate would that have been your career, one of your career highlights? that was a brilliant night yeah Bro- tears. Bro- Bro- tears after it. No, I'm not really a teary person, yeah. but emotional, like happy, uh, 
It was a Thursday night as well, so we had the whole weekend to look forward to. It was like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was brilliant. Where did you go? Just yeah. we, we were in. We went to Glasgow on the Thursday night. Then uh, all day Friday we were in Glasgow in the West End, and it was brilliant. Three days just. But that was the thing when when you won, you had that luxury. When you never won, you had to go into hiding for for days. Uh, hide under a bed, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, the next season. Old middle of the park row. I, I thought you. I thought that was your best position. Uh, if I could have moved, I think uh-huh. I could have played there. Did you enjoy playing there? Though? I loved it. Uh-huh. Uh, and was it was it Gordon that came and said to you? Did he ask if you fancied it, or did he just put you straight in? He, uh, he just put me in. I think it's funny actually. Shawnee always jokes with me about this because he put me straight in at Old Trafford, and I done all right. They, I think, bigger teams let you have the ball a little mm-hmm. bit more. There's not as much. It's not as frantic in the middle of the park. And then obviously I had a defensive responsibility on Berbatov it was that night. Uh, And I'd done all right. We got pumped 3-0, but I'd done all right. And and he thought I was brilliant. And when Strackle thought you were brilliant, then you were like, Uh that was it. You know, you were his his kind of blue-eyed boy for a bit. So he said to me after the game, and Sean still brings this up, about if you can play at Old Trafford in there, you can play anywhere. So then on the Sunday we played at Love Street against St Mirren. <laughs> I had a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> so Shawnee used to always say, you can play anywhere apart from Love Street. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Um, you, 2008, 2009, player of the year. Did you, did you expect that? Not at all, no. I used to get belters off all the media and tell me how, you know, what I couldn't do. So it was, it was a big thing, I think. At the time, again, you're in a team environment, so you want to, it's all team, team, team. But when you finish your career and you look back, it, it, it is a big achievement. I went back to the dinner last year, and when you see all the names that have won it before and, and since, it's, it's obviously a good thing to, to be in amongst that. And, and yeah, it was, it was a big thing at the time. Do you think you deserved on it? Probably no, no, but... Uh, I think sometimes defenders don't get the credit they deserve. You know, when you look at the Ballon d'Or and individual trophies always seem to go to attacking players. So there was probably attacking players that had done much better, but I think it was probably different reasons of what I'd came through, the, the pressures I'd came through in the beginning to then, you know, ha- have an influence on, on winning the league was probably why I got it. Brilliant. Uh, just on to leave in Celtic. Tony Mowbray came in, obviously you'd had him before. It looked to me as though you'd be there for years. Why the decision to leave? I I just felt at the time I wasn't getting what I felt I was worth to the to the team and and other players were. Uh, everyone kind of knows. Obviously, you don't speak about it like I said before, but everyone knows what people are getting paid and stuff. And I felt I was undervalued by the club. Mm-hmm. The manager came in and wanted to keep me, but couldn't get a contract that that was suitable. So I felt I was undervalued. I was willing to play and, and play out my contract and then and then Wigan, well, Middlesbrough and Wigan came in in the January and uh, at that point I think Tony Mowbray was wanting to change stuff anyway so that would have gave him more options in, in the market to, to obviously spend the money uh, different. Uh, so there was no kind of bad feeling. Yeah. It, it happens in football, the club have a value, I have a value and if it doesn't, doesn't meet and there's other options then, then you move on but I... I still go back to the club and and love the club uh, in so many ways. It was forty grand a week, wasn't it? No, <laughs> it's double that. Uh, is it hard to leave a club like Celtic? Though it's hard, yeah, because you're, I'm going to Wigan, who, all due respect, get 
well, to get 15,000, it's an unbelievable crowd. So you're, I was going to a different environment, but I always wanted to play in the Premier League as well. I felt like I played for Scotland, played Champions League. I want to play week in, week out against like top players and, and, and experience that. So it was that challenge more than, than wigging the club uh, that, that I was looking for. Go on, tell us how upset Gordon was when you chose Wigan. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the scariest days of my life, to be honest. Uh, so I went down for the, on the Saturday morning, spent the whole weekend with him as well, which made it even worse. Him oh. and Leslie uh, showed us around the training ground. There was a hotel right next to the training ground, talking about different things. Gary Penrice was there, his assistant manager. Uh, then Robbo and Chris Killen came down on this Sunday. We'd done a medical on the Monday. And for some reason, and and um, when, I, when I try and sign a player now, I'm like to the secretary, get him signed. If it's midnight, one in the morning, get him signed. Make sure he signs on that paper and then everyone can go home. Because for some reason, the secretary had went home. So I came back from my medical at seven o'clock at night I was getting scans my body was like falling to bits so I was getting scans everywhere came back at seven Robbo had signed Chris Killen had signed and because I was delayed in the scans I came back at seven o'clock and the secretary had gone and they were like I oh, will just sign it in the morning I went yeah fine sign it in the morning by at which time Roberto Martinez was calling my agent and Wigan were, were calling my agent and then in the morning my agent came and went They've changed the offer, like, and I was like, oh no. It was like, I, I need to go to Wigan now. It was like life changing. I said, I need to go to, to Wigan now. I said, what are we going to do? He says, well, we better phone Gordon and get him over. And he came over to the hotel. I remember I was, I was actually shitting myself. Mm-hmm. And he came in the breakfast room, it was just me and my agent sitting. And he's, you know, when his face was like, you could tell he knew what was coming. And he was he was already raging, and I was like, "Gaffer, uh, Wigan have came back in," and he went, "What do you mean?" I said, "I'm I'm going to go and sign for Wigan," and he just went, "All right, fine." Shook my hand, <laughs> walked right out the room, and I was like, and he had that that way that if he'd went mad, it would have been easier, mm-hmm. but he just walked out, and he was literally like seething, and I was like. Oh wow! And I said to my agent, "What do we do now?" He went getting the car. And, like my agent was just like getting the car and drive yeah, to Wigan. But I was like, a... "I've let down a guy who, like, you know, I know, respect, like, would do anything for," and I and I let him down in that way. So it was hard. But I phoned him about, left it about three months, <laughs> <laughs> and then I phoned him. It was I was on a Scotland trip actually, and I phoned him and just went, "You know, are you all right?" You know, I just wanted to phone you and just say no hard feelings. He said, look, he said, you have to live with two things. He said, letting me down. And he said, and you have to look after your family. So as long as, you know, that balance is right yeah. for you. And that was his way of just saying, it's all right. you probably done the right thing. You Can know? you imagine what he said to that secretary? <laughs> <laughs> poor, that poor woman, you've probably got her a sack. <laughs> but how impressed were you with Roberto Martinez I mean Belgium World Cup semi-final is he that good? he was brilliant yeah he, he, he did teach me another way 
of playing uh, as like we always played out and done things but he done it in a way that that was so methodical and so thought out and the positional play and how you moved and took the ball up the pitch just totally made you think of the game differently see coaching differently how you coach players uh, it was a, a brilliant experience and, and it's similar to Tony Mowbray almost probably to start and finish my career that we would go anywhere and play toe to toe mm-hmm. anywhere Old Trafford, like we'd get, we'd get a doing, we took a few doings, but we never once went and said, we're going to go the day and sit in. Even Man City in the cup final, we went toe-to-toe, we played, they played, we, we had defensive, obviously, actions to stop their players, but we had a key attacking threat that, that we could constantly be in the game, and we won an FA Cup with a team that should never have won an FA Cup, but we did because we had a, a clear way of playing and a clear structure in how we went about things. How much belief does that give you when a manager's he believes in you that you can go and play against a man sitting and doing it? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. That's you know, that's the, the role I think of the manager to make players think they're better than they are, you know, and make them believe they're I better wish than I'd they fucking are. Had them. <laughs> <laughs> and and we one time we were bottom of the league and the last eleven games we won, what did we, won seven, we drew two and we lost two. And we lost, the two we lost were in the last minute at Stamford Bridge, the last minute at Fulham. We beat Man United at home, we beat Arsenal away, we beat Liverpool away, we beat Newcastle wow. at home who were Champions League. We were, we were a, a really good side when, when we got it right. Too often defensively, we just attacked and we were wide open. And if you're wide open against top players, they, they punish you. Was there a softness with his team still? Yeah. And would he recognise that? No. 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 And was that what you what was your what your problem was with the team? Ahead? Yeah, that was my argument all the time to kind of change a little bit, you know. Uh, and and even still, I think the Belgian team, you know, the, how amazing they are, mm-hmm. they still have that little bit of vulnerability. But that's that's how he sees football. You know, he sees football that way and mm. he'll always play that way because it's very different to do something that you don't believe in. So that great run in the FA Cup, but also fighting relegation at the same time, was it hard to balance that FA Cup run with your prioritising the league? It cost us, no doubt about it in my mind. That, Like I said, the 11-game run we went on was the season before mm-hmm. and he actually he came in that summer and said we, we should win the league. And no I, way. Yeah, and I said, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> and he's, for, for those 11 games, Man U and Man City were going for the league at the same time. Uh-huh. And for those 11 games, we were the best team in the Premier League, forum-wise. Right. Whilst they were head-to-head going for a league. So they were at... It wasn't like they'd won it and they were easing, easing off. off. They uh-huh. were both going flat out. And we got one more point in Man City, I think. So we were the form team. Mm-hmm. So he said, for 11 games, we're the best team in the league. We just need to do that for 38. And I went, but... That's quite, that's quite a big jump. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's how we started that campaign and it ultimately ended up relegated and, and won an FA Cup. But I, I could see his thinking mm-hmm. and his thought process, but we just couldn't get it together. And I've no doubts that if we hadn't had the FA Cup run, we'd have stayed in the league. But the FA Cup run, people say it takes your eye off the ball. It does. It has to because you suddenly think, there's a trophy here that, that we can win that, that could create history. Staying in the Premier League, whilst it, it's amazing and important financially, 
nobody's going to remember the team that stays in the Premier League. They're going to remember the team that wins the FA Cup. So it was a, a brilliant story. And I remember on the Tuesday night we played Swin, uh, Swindon. I'm thinking yeah, you've got to beat that time. Rubbish team. Uh, <laughs> Swansea. That was good to win it. I played well. You played well that day. Uh -huh. Cheers, mate. We played uh, Swansea at home and I played with like two injections. I had to get injections to play. I was struggling to train at the time. And, and the other players were patched up and played. And we actually rested players for the cup final on the Saturday. So that was the uh, kind of... And then I was, on the Saturday, I was then on the bench for the players that were playing because I was just training like one, maybe two days a week mm. to try and stay in the squad and help the team. So the squad was like struggling with, with injuries. That Man City game, how, how was the build-up to the game before the FA Cup final? Talk us through it. The build-up was brilliant. Uh, we played them two weeks before in the league and battered them. Like, should have should have beat them, got beat 1-0. Tevez scored late. And that was, we got in the changing room and he said, we'll win the FA Cup. He said it that night. He said, he almost, it was almost like, my plan, I know it works. We'll kind of tweak it and, mm -hmm. and work on it. And he said, we'll beat them. He, he played, he basically played with two, two wingers, like, almost like a false number nine. So two wingers. Uh, we played Coney and McManaman, were the, the attackers, and Sean Maloney played number 10, mm -hmm. but a defensive responsibility about the counter-attack threat. And we, we played them on the wide areas and Callum McManaman destroyed Cliche that final. Uh, and we, we deserved to win the game. We were, we were the better team on the day. Uh -huh. How, was Sean brilliant for Wigan? He was superb for Wigan, yeah. He was, he was probably as fit as he was. Great experience. Uh, I, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. See, on Martinez, see a defeat or something, would he be a ball or a shout or would, it, would there never be any shouting? No, that was, that was me, that was my... That was your role? Yeah, I'd come in and go daft at everyone and he'd come in and talk about it calmly and calm it all down, so... And would, yeah. he, would he want you to do that? Yeah, he'd, he'd allow me to kind of have a go and, and create that friction that I think every good team needs, that, you know, you're not accepting any less than, than high standards. Uh, he'd let me do it, probably think I was a bit of a madman, and then speak calmly and, and mm -hmm. tact... He was big on tactics that everything was always about the tactics, whereas I sometimes said, well, it's sometimes about the will and the mm -hmm. desire. Tactic, so yeah. it was, the balance was probably good between the two. But lifting the FA Cup as captain must have been one of your proudest moments of your life now. It was brilliant. I was sub, obviously, but I'd been club captain for three years, hadn't played any game, any minute. But I got in the semi-final and the final, which was brilliant because I got the two big bonuses, which was, <laughs> which was amazing. Uh, but it was funny, actually, over the years, having done bonuses for players, I was always somebody that fought for the, the squad. Because I remember at Hibs and at Celtic, we, we had bonuses that I'd always say everyone deserves it. Not just the people that are playing, because everyone's party, it's a squad effort. And when I done the FA Cup bonuses, I made it the squad. So the atmospheres. Well, we in. actually, after the FA Cup, we we got the bonus. We we got some money, and everyone at the club. I made sure everyone at the club got got a bonus. I done it with the chief exec, and we made sure, like, we went through the list, and we got a pot of money for all the players, and, and we gave the the ticket women, the tea women, we gave everyone money, which I think was a really Brilliant. really good thing for the players to do. Excellent. So. When was it, as a player, that you started to think management's the game for me? Probably young. Was it? Even, yeah, when I played for Celtic, uh -huh. I think I was somebody that always kind of thought about the game. 
I could never run, so I always had to think about the game. I had to think about positioning and why I'm standing in certain positions. And uh, I think probably early 20s, I always knew I wanted to stay in coaching, stay in football. Uh, so coaching and management was something I was I was always keen on. So when Malky Mackay's time was coming to an end, was it spoken about to you that you would you would take over? It was that night after the game. I got a call uh, for the the young chairman who had been in place for probably a year, nine months by that point, uh, and he said, you know, do you want to take over? I'd been working in the academy for nine months, which I think went unnoticed, you know, people thought I was still playing, but I, I, I was still a player, but I was basically a coach. And, and when Malky came in, actually, he'd done me a favour in a sense that he said, why don't you chuck it? Because I didn't want to do that myself. I'd felt a bit like, you know, I'm, I'm giving up here. But he, the physio that was already there, I'd worked with him at uh, Watford, and he obviously knew what state I was in. And he came in and said, why don't you just chuck it and work in the academy? So I went to the academy full time at that point, occasionally joining in training or, or watching training mm -hmm. with the first team. Uh, but went with the academy full time. I coached the under eights. I coached mainly the 15s and 16s on a, they had day release. I coached under 21. So it was great. I got the full kind of spectrum your, uh, your of, of coaching. Did you ever think that you would get that Wigan job though? No. For your first job? No, I don't think you do. I think you, you want to coach. Mm -hmm. If anything, I wanted to coach with kids longer. I love coaching with kids, I still do. When I was out the game, I coached my little boys' academy team. I went into Wimslow High School, local high school, and coached under 15s there. I, I love coaching, and, and when you're young, you just want to coach and coach young teams, because I think young players will listen and whatever you tell them to do. And you have to coach more with kids. Break it down. You have to break it down and learn. So do you remember the phone call I asked you to be the Wigan manager? Yeah, I was on the way home in the car and uh, he said, do you want to come round the house and spoke to him, uh, asked me about different things. Oh, I'd obviously, I'd been at the club probably five and a half years by that point. So I knew the club inside out. I knew what I felt was wrong. Uh, and, and he was similar. He's obviously been involved with the club since he was a kid, he's, through his granddad. Uh, and, and it was was the perfect match at that time. How was it working with a chairman so young? It was brilliant. We got on great. Still do. Still speak to him. Uh, I was a young manager. He was a young chairman. So we were kind of learning as we go. But I think that helped each other. We spoke every day. Probably met nearly every day in that first period. So I think I think it's the most important relationship at the club that the the person who's making the decisions and the manager are tight. And if the players see that, so that we would be in La Manga, he came over and we'd go out at night and have a drink and uh, in the uh, training ground we'd be at lunch every day and the players see that solidarity from through the club, then it, then it spreads right through. So the that they know the chairman's got your back, whatever yeah. decision you make. Uh -huh. I think it's important. Uh -huh. um, first season, absolutely cruise league one. Did you know early on that that, that would happen? Uh, no. <laughs> we lost our first game 2-0. Uh, we lost our second game in the Cup 2-1 and our third game we drew 0-0 against Doncaster and it was horrendous. And I thought, wow, this is we're in trouble here. Why was uh, it not going right? Because we totally changed the way of playing, totally changed the whole squad. We had, we had to get rid of a lot of players because of finances. Uh, 
but others I wanted to get rid of because I'd played with them and stuff. I think I kept about three players who I'd played with, mm-hmm. but everyone else, we kind of changed the squad. So we're new players, didn't know the best team, trying to implement a new style of play, and we were struggling with it. And there was certain moments that we, we won 3-2 at Chesterfield, actually. We were 2-0 down with 15 minutes to go, 1-3-2. And then the one where I thought we were going to win it was Chester, uh, not Chesterfield, uh, Gillingham at home, who were actually doing well. They were they finished third, I think, that year. They were 2 0 up with about half an hour to go. And we won 3 2. We scored in the 95th minute ahead of And after that night, I thought we're going to win this. It just, we started doing things that, that teams that win leagues do scoring late goals, like battering teams, teams like yeah. beating teams four and five. And, uh, we went on. In the end, it was fairly comfortable, but the first six months were were really difficult. Uh-huh. The following year, you got sacked. I thought it was quite harsh, considering you were in a new league. Quite. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, you obviously said you were really tight with the chairman, so why do you think you took that decision? Uh, there's loads of people at football clubs and sometimes no him that makes the decision. Right. I think other people were making decisions and... I think they, when they don't know what's happening on a day-to-day basis, when they don't know what's happening through recruitment, and our recruitment was actually really good that summer, but there were certain targets we missed out on. I tried to sign uh, Callum Patterson for Hearts. Right. We need a right wing back, and we were very close to getting him, and he would have gave us the physicality we needed, and he's obviously went on, on to do really well at uh, Cardiff. Uh, so we missed out on some key signings that meant we were a little bit behind uh, and I struggled as a manager. I found it difficult. The players, when we were signing new players, the old players were like, well, have we not getting new contracts? And man management at that mm-hmm. time was, was hard. It was really difficult. Uh, so we had a few kind of little things, but of my last five games, I lost one. Strange. Drew three right. and won one. So it wasn't exactly for Crisis time, uh, we, we were. I think we were third bottom at the time. So we, were, we weren't doing amazing, but we were in a new league and we were getting better uh, as the season was going on. But got a text on the Monday night. I was at a reserve game, a Man United reserve game. Got a text to say, can you meet me at the stadium tomorrow? And he'd never sent me a text like that in 18 months. He'd have called me or mm. what are you up to tomorrow? Or it, it had an eerie kind of ring to it and... I told my assistant manager, Graham Barrow, who was the Wigan manager and had been sacked <laughs> by Dave right. Whelan. And he uh, he kind of went, ah, he'll be all right, but I could tell he he knew oh, as well. Yeah. And then the next morning when I went into training, I said to him, you just take training. He said, I'll take training, forget training, like just you know, concentrate on what you've got to do. So I went and spoke to the doc. The doc at Wigan knew everything. Mm-hmm. So he started saying to me how I'll do great and I'll be a good manager and uh, I'll get a good club and I'm thinking, not be sacked yet, mate. <laughs> but wow. he knew everything. Uh-huh. Uh, so then I went up to the stadium and I uh, got sacked that afternoon. Uh, See, so winning leagues as a manager and getting sacked as a manager, how does that compare to doing your highs as a player and your, your say getting released as a player? Winning's better as a manager because I think you feel responsible to the club. Uh-huh. They hire you to, to look after everything and you feel a responsibility to the club. So it's not just you playing your little bit. You have to oversee everything. So it's, I think it's a bigger high. And getting sacked is 
the the lowest low, lower than than anything I've ever experienced in in football by a mile, possibly in my life. It's just you go from a hundred mile an hour to nothing. Your phone, you actually think your phone's broke. You're like, it's not ringing anymore, and it goes. And then on the flip side, when you come back in, I got I've got a hundred new pals again. And <laughs> call my texts and everyone, how are you doing? And uh-huh. agents call you back and. Uh, but it's being sacked and being out of the game is, is really difficult. Did you try and fight your case when you got sacked? I did, yeah. I spoke to, well, it was the chief exec and the chairman. And then I spoke to the chairman on his, because I could tell it wasn't his decision. Mm-hmm. I knew, I, I could tell when he was, he was lying, basically. Uh, so I spoke to him on my own and said, it's, it's not the right time. I said, I, I, I'll know when the right time is if it's no, the players aren't they are still kind of playing for me and stuff. Uh, so yeah, it was tough, and then the, the decision's already made. Went back, we were off the Wednesday, and then I went in Thursday morning to see the players and speak to the players and the staff. And it was diff- it was more difficult, I think, with with the, with the club because I've been there seven, just over seven years. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I was a manager who'd been there 18 months. I, you know, my secretary I'd known for seven years and still speak to her. And You took her from Middlesbrough after you got sacked. <laughs> <laughs> so a big part of your life over, eh? So it's a big part of your life over. And then, like I say, you, you, you kind of lose touch with the people and you think you'll all be tight forever, but life moves on. and yeah, it's Football especially. Football especially. So it was, it was a really sad day. It was actually my girlfriend's birthday as well. That day, oh, you're and so I phoned her on the way back to the stadium, and she was at her mum's having a glass of prosecco. Hiya, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Hiya, I've just been sacked. <laughs> oh no! So we had tickets to go and see Michael McIntyre. Was it Michael McIntyre? Comedian, or, uh-huh. or or it was maybe even a show. It was maybe even a show. We had tickets to go and yeah. see a show for her birthday, and and going to Manchester. She's like, do you still want to go? And I was like, we better go or I'll end up like hanging myself. <laughs> so we uh, we went into Manchester and had a great night, actually. <laughs> did you feel a sense years. of relief, though? Because you'd been involved in football for so long, that was your first kind of... No, I didn't. But I've said this on an interview I did, and looking back, I should have took six months, a year mm-hmm. of doing, not nothing, but... Going and, wa- going and watching, well, aye, nothing. <laughs> uh, going and watching managers, going and seeing different clubs, going and seeing different sports and uh, coaching at different places and take, take time out to, to re- reassess everything and then come back into the game. But I didn't. So uh, why did you jump at Chesterfield then? Because you want to right or wrong. You think, I, I, I'm good at this, I've, I've had success, I know, I know I'm good at this and I can get it again and you want to jump into something and, and do that. And I'd been warned by everyone not to do that, but it's in your instinct. You want to win. You, you've done it your whole life, and you want to go and have that opportunity to go and be successful again. And I jumped into something that after a week I thought, wow, this is, this is going to be difficult. And, and it was difficult. But then, since then, I, I've had that time now. I've had just over a year where... I went out to Ghana coaching. I coached Ghana. The, yeah, Did you, I went huh? out to Right to Dream Academy out right. in Ghana. Uh, amazing experience. The players were phenomenal, but just the environment, just seeing, you know, that country and how how other people live, uh, was a great experience and something I learned a lot from. 
uh, going to see Brendan Rodgers, speaking to Sir Alex Ferguson, Sean Dyche, Rafa Benitez, going on different courses. I, I feel like I've, I've learned a lot. Angie, you, you think back to your career and you reassess everything in your career as well a little bit and I think then you, you come back stronger. So now I feel like I'm, I'm really ready to, to do a good job here. I was going to end it there, but I need to ask, what, what, what's the best bit of advice you got for Sir Alex or Brent, Brent, Brendan, you know what I'm saying? Uh, my afternoon with Sir Alex was incredible. In his office in, that, in Wimslow, I live in the same village as I'm doing in South Manchester. and uh, I was with him for two and a half hours. I took him a nice bottle of red wine. but Nice it, to it, you, but no nice to him. Uh, no, it was a nice right, one. Okay. It cost a few quid, but <laughs> I thought I'd better take a nice one. But two and a half hours he was with me for. And I was actually thinking at the end, like, he must have something better to do than sit and speak to me. It was just me and him. Oh. His son came in for 10 minutes and said hello. Uh, he had got me a soup and a sandwich, and we just sat and had a soup and a sandwich and spoke, and he had a big picture of Jock Steen and him on the night he died, and, he, and he's a massive big picture behind him in his office. And like it was when you looked at it, it was like amazing to see, and we spoke about Jock Steen, and we spoke about East Stirling, St Mirren, and we never, we hardly spoke about Man United. We just spoke about his early career. Yeah. And he was brilliant. He's, he's obviously worked for the LMA, and the LMA have been amazing as well. And keeping you occupied and involved, they got me, set me up with Sean Dyche and, and Rafa Benitez and uh, do different things. So they've been amazing as well. And you, I suppose you find out, find out who your pals are when, yeah. when you're in a crisis. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't think you were the brightest, but. I've a listen after listening to you, I've no doubt you'll be a success. Thanks very much. Hope so. Talk Cheers, about. mate. Cheers, guys. Thanks.